Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. This is episode 12. Carrie, who is usually here with me talking, is taking this episode off, and I have someone else, my friend Ellie, joining us today. We're going to be talking about mindfulness in the music classroom. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And now it's time for our main theme. I am so thrilled to have Ellie here. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about mindfulness in the music classroom. But first, Ellie, tell me, tell everybody a little bit about your experiences as a music teacher and what you're doing right now. Sure. So my music teaching experiences are pretty diverse. Um, I've been a pre-K through eighth grade uh, general music teacher, and I've taught band, and I've taught orchestra, and uh, now I'm working on my PhD in music education, my That's dissertation. So hey, what's your ex- instrument? Oh, I don't like that question. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your instruments? <laughs> So if I had to pick a primary part of my identity as a musician, I'd pick composer. Oh, good. So I think that's part of why. That's why you don't like that. You composer people are like, don't box me in. Yeah. um, And I I experienced lots of different instruments for the fun of it and the joy of the music making, and they can offer different things, but also it informs my composing in different ways. I got it. All right. (laughs) And, And right now you're working on your dissertation. I am. I am. Um, Are you allowed to talk about that? um, A little bit. So uh, basically, I'm uh, conducting a survey of uh, elementary music teachers to get a better idea of the current teaching practices they're actually doing in their classroom um, versus how in higher ed sometimes we talk about there's this approach or this philosophy and those kinds of things and trying to dig a little more to see what are teachers actually doing. Interesting. We are here to talk about mindfulness in the music classroom, Mm -hmm. and uh, tell me how you first encountered the whole idea of mindfulness, not just in music, but just in general. Yeah, so I had done, it wasn't connected to my teaching or music at all for me for a long time. Uh, I had done yoga for a while, but I did it purely as a physical exercise. I wasn't interested in any of that mumbo jumbo or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not here for my mind. I'm just here to get a good workout uh, until I got pregnant and did um, prenatal yoga. Uh-huh. And then, um, I don't know, everything changes in pregnancy. Oh, yes. Everything. <laughs> and so that's when I was, um, and I went to a very different teacher at that point, And that's when I was like, oh, this stuff can be really helpful and interesting and I'm getting to know myself better and that's when I started to get into mindfulness in general I didn't come to meditation until much later Mm -hmm. um, probably about five years after that four years Uh, and that was kind of a hodgepodge of how it started too and then I started to get into more regular practice and um, the app Headspace which I know you love too mm-hmm. was really helpful for me to start doing that kind of every day yeah and we'll put a link to some of these apps and things that you could do for your own personal if you're into if you're interested in looking into um meditation mindfulness so we'll put that in the show notes yeah and there's so many that are great that are Uh, out there and it's really been booming lately i don't know if you've noticed but like i said every few months there's something new and um and i'm stealing this from one of those people but uh i think in about 
maybe even five years time, but I always tell my my students in about 10 years time for sure when they are adults that it's going to be considered like running or going to the gym that people are going to just understand <clears throat> that if you want to keep care of take care of your mind that you you engage in some kind of mindfulness activity i think it's going to be like second nature yeah like we used to i agree be questioning people running down the street if you saw someone running you'd be like where's the fire what's going on right sure. i mean back in the <laughs> 1950s, or, I'm sure. Or like you used to see someone walking down the street and talking to themselves, and you're oh, like, yeah. what's going on now? You're like, they have Bluetooth. Like, right, exactly. So it's just it's one of those changed. understood things. Yeah. And I think in not too many years from now, we're going to just understand that, oh, yeah, you want to take care of your mind? You do this kind of thing. So you were talking about um, getting at it through yoga. Yeah, that's how I started. And yeah. so there's this mind-body connection that you first came into contact with. So I always also wanted to touch on your experience with the Alexander Technique, because I know next to nothing about it. It is. It's wonderful, and um, it has been one of the most life-changing things of my doctorate, actually. How so? Um, because I took two wonderful semesters of Alexander Technique, and then I also did extra study on top of that um, for my comprehensive exams. And I, how has it been life changing? I am so much more in touch with myself. And like I notice how things feel. Um, so it's really supported the meditation practice because now I more easily feel the physical, like if something is starting to make me feel anxious. I notice it in my body really quickly, and then I can tap into my meditation practice to not go down that rabbit hole of the cycle where you're like, oh, well, now I'm feeling anxious about feeling anxious. And yeah, yes. Those kinds of things. So tell us more about what is the Alexander Technique. So that is really hard to do in a nutshell. <laughs> um, and part of the reason it's hard is because um, FM Alexander started the technique. And so I'll start there. He um, was an orator. So he, um, he gave these presentations often of Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. uh, and he started to lose his voice like all the time. And he went to doctor after doctor after doctor. And they're like, well, rest and drink tea with honey is basically where they right. ended. And he would start to feel better. And then he would go into his oration again. And his voice would be gone again. So he did something um, a lot of us probably wouldn't have the strength to do where he's like, you know what? I'm probably doing something wrong. Let me figure out what that is. So he set up mirrors all around himself so he could see his, um, how he was holding his body, his posture, we wow. might say, and noticed that he was holding himself upright, really strong, and there was all this extra tension and so from that um, was born the Alexander Technique, where it's a way of learning to let go of all the extra work you're doing with your body that you don't need to do. So movement can be so much easier than we think it can be uh, if you learn to let go of that extra. And it is not easy, and it takes very regular practice, um, but learning to do it has been life-changing. Um, and then there's other parts of it too. Now, as more and more people interpret it, there's there's you know different branches as that happens as you move away from the first person with the idea. And um, one of the ideas that's been really helpful for me is a unified field of awareness. So it's the idea that 
Um, so in my in meditation, for you, sometimes you might do a body scan. Mm-hmm. So you pay attention to one part of the body at a time. Um, unified field of awareness, you pay attention to all of them at the same time. And you can learn that skill or relearn that skill because sometimes young kids still have that skill. Um, and so you're aware of everything at the same time. So like if you're in this um, state and you're playing music, you're you're aware of how your body is approaching the instrument if you're playing an instrument and how your body is reacting to the sound you're creating and interacting socially with the other people just in a much more rich um, and unified kind of way. Wow, that that's incredible. But um, I feel like the description can't fully describe it. And you were able to take a course through... Yeah, at CU Boulder, I took two courses and then... Um, what sort of was like an independent study? Because mm-hmm. I made it one of my questions for my comprehensive exam. So exams. how do like average music teachers or musicians find this? What do you think about... I mean, CU, Boulder, they're pretty progressive as far as the kind of sure. courses that they will offer. Because so, I, in all of my music training, yeah. you know, my bachelor's, my master's degree, never had the opportunity. No, I hadn't heard of it then. No, yeah. I mean, I'd always heard of it, but... I didn't even know that he was an orator. I thought he was a musician. Yeah, so uh, actors and dancers do Alexander. So all these too. pop musicians who keep canceling their tours, oh, I know they could like tap into this. Yeah, Katy possibly. Perry, if you're listening, maybe you need to get in on this. Um, but even like, uh, if you think about teachers, we talk about how taxing teaching can be on your vocal health. So you would think this would be a thing, like for all teachers. Yes. Huh. For all beings. I mean, my kids who are four and six are doing Alexander practice at home. Um, and one of them, the younger one, he's still very much in touch with, uh, we call it your primary control. That's the, if you let go of all the extra work that you don't need to do, that's what's left. Mm-hmm. And that's how your body moves with the most ease. And he's still very much in touch with that. But my six-year-old already from sitting in class and stuff is slumped over Mm -hmm. and is doing all this extra work. Oh yeah. I find myself all the time. Like I'll, I'll start being aware of my body and I'll be like, wow, what is this weird position I'm holding? (laughs) Um, and not even, you know, singing or playing piano or anything. I'll just find myself in this funky. And I, and I think about my um, kids that are playing recorder Mm. and the ways they will hold their instrument just so strange. When they're like crisscross with their elbows on their knees. Uh Yeah. 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 Well, my fifth graders are now doing alto recorders, and we use chairs because the instrument, you know, it's longer than yeah. a soprano recorder, and a lot of them do have their elbows on their legs, and if they play that way, there is just, oh, it's a mess. They're making so it harder. They are making it harder, and I've yeah. often thought about maybe I should get the chairs out for the third graders and fourth graders as well when we're playing soprano. I just haven't gone there yet. Um, we do a lot of standing when we're playing. Oh, yeah. At, but we also do oh, sit. And always, we talk about check your posture. Check, are your arms and legs connected? Because then you got to, you know, straighten up. And But it is challenging. It is. It Especially is. when you're learning a new instrument. Because you've got the fingerings to think about and your, your air. and Right. So um, I've done some work on connecting Alexander Technique to teaching music. Mm-hmm. And thinking about those things. And one of the big things and I'm sure you you do some of this already is making sure to have a lot of those not just discussions but physically practicing what's it feel like to have bad posture 
Um, what's it feel like to be more upright and more relaxed? Not like the stiff upright, because that's also not going to help you. You might as well just lean on your elbows anyway. Yeah. Um, but having that nice relaxed feeling where you're upright uh, and really exploring those feelings through different kinds of movements. So when you're moving to music because you're doing listening kinds of activity, those are things you can think about at that moment too. Like notice if you feel yourself upright. All right, make your body really tense this time and feel how that's different. And then you can connect that experience when you're talking about, hey, remember how we were upright during the listening activity? Let's try to have that relaxed upright while we play recorder mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. Um, and then a lot of people now, Alexander Technique, also talk about um, physically how your body is structured. And you learn a lot more um, in many people's study of Alexander Technique. Again, there's different factions. That's too strong a word. But there's different Oops. Uh, thoughts on how to approach Alexander Technique. But a lot of people really study the mechanics of your body. And bringing those kinds of things in concrete ways to students is really helpful. Um, sometimes using the metaphors actually doesn't help because the kids interpret those in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, like, breathe deep into your belly. It's like, well, if you actually brought air deep into your belly, you would probably die. So that's not what we mean. What do we actually mean in looking at that and being more concrete and giving them the experiences to, to try out what's really tense and doesn't feel good and then relax and feel what's better. Right. Well, so I'm kind of making a connection here. You tell me if I'm wrong. It seems like Alexander Technique is, well, mindfulness and specifically mindful meditation is about being aware of the present moment without judgment and tuning in to everything that's going on but not getting invested in thought. And it seems like Alexander Technique is the same thing, but you're moving. It can be, sure. Um, but there's also a lot of thought experiments okay. in studying Alexander Technique. So um, learning to move your body through thinking instead of feeling uh -huh. um, is one way that some people approach getting rid of that ex excess um, tension that we hold as we move. Um, so like I had this wonderful experience. Uh, I was, I did this yoga class and I was translating all of the directions <laughs> that they gave me through an Alexander lens in my head. I'm like, all right, so you told me to do like raise my chest up to the sky. I'm like, that's, that's not what I think you're actually looking for. I think you're looking for that upright, relaxed posture and that's how you're trying to get it. And so I was translating all of the directions and when I left, as I was walking, it was such a weird feeling because I couldn't feel my muscles. Like I was walking, but I wasn't doing that little bit of extra holding on that we do to our muscles so we can feel them. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing any of that. And I, was, I had no idea walking could be that easy. And I don't usually think of walking as hard. I was like, wow, we do so much extra work all the time to sit, to walk, to yeah. breathe that we just don't need to do. Well, I went skiing yesterday and the day before and walking in snow boots. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, thinking and pain involved in that, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny because I've been thinking a lot about walking. Yeah. But because of the because, snow boots. Yeah, because you had to do it differently. And because it's very painful. <laughs> and I was thinking about how skiing is so much, you know, when you have the snow boots on, you want to have the skis on because then you don't, I don't think about it. Right. And it's just natural when I like am skiing. But when I have to walk in the ski boots, it's just the world has just. Well, I'm, I'm not a skier, but ice skates, like walking on ice skates 
is really bizarre, and then skating is so nice and smooth. And right. like, oh, this is why they're shaped this way. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for that because um, that's very illuminating. And so we're gonna get back to our talk about mindfulness in the music room. Yeah. And you and I have talked a lot, like on the record, off the record, about all of this. And I feel like I'm I'm still really really new to the whole thing. Sure. And um, I'm looking to get more educated on bringing mindfulness into the music classroom, and I've done a little bit, but uh, tell me about your experiences with using mindfulness in the music classroom. Ooh, big question. Yeah, we'll just... Uh, yeah, I'll start small. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, like I, like I said with my introduction about how I started with yoga and I was not into the mindfulness piece of it, um, and then I was like, wow, this makes a big difference for my life. Um, I was amazed, uh, and I, I worked with really challenging students when I started incorporating this. Um, they, I mean, they just had so many challenges in their lives, so many of them. And I was amazed how quickly most of my students from three-year-olds through fifth grade were like, oh, yeah, let's do this. You're, you're trying to give me something that might work? I'm game. Um, so they were game. They were game. So if I, like... We've done our our session yeah. like twice and both times. Well, actually, I'm not sure if it was both times, but it's come up to me. People have approached me, music teachers who have been in our session about how do you get the kids when you first start, how do you get them to buy in? Because a lot of them are really scared and nervous that especially they're kids who have a lot of challenges yeah. and who have that defense mechanism of acting out all the time, no matter what's going on. How do you deal with that? So did you have that? I Initially, I did not have many problems. That's no, great. they were really game. And um, what ages were they? Uh, three years old, well, two years old through fifth grade. Okay. So that full span. Um, so and you didn't have anyone laughing, Some of our fifth graders were, were on the older side, too. Okay. Um, no, and, and part of that is when I first started with them is I did have quiet backgrounds music, and it was the, always the same short classical piece. Um, so that they weren't listening for new things every time. Mm -hmm. um, but they they just dove into it right away. Now, once we had done it for a little while, and we've talked about this before, like sitting with yourself and your thoughts can be really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we all have our different challenges in our lives, and it doesn't matter what yours are, but for you it can be really hard. And it's hard for me sometimes too. And so then I needed to start to modify and have some different possibilities for how the students could engage in being mindful mm -hmm. um, to support their needs. But initially, they were all all for it, um, which was really surprising. Uh, and you started with like a simple exercise where you just had them focus on the breath or... Yeah, they had a choice. They could either sit and quietly just listen to the music or if they wanted to, they could also feel what it feels like to breathe in and breathe out. So just focusing on that feeling. And did you, during these, because I know, I know we've talked about you did two minutes. Yes, two minutes. During these two minutes, were you completely not talking? Or did you try, did you um, come in every once in a while to kind of get them refocused? I did not talk. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm a mover around the classroom. And their eyes, um, they were invited to close their eyes. And almost everybody did close their eyes mm -hmm. or um, looked down at the floor right in front of them. And so 
they're used to me moving anyway, and it doesn't necessarily mean I'm moving to someone who's doing the wrong thing. But if someone did start to get like a little wiggly or something, I could go over and just like stand next to them and, and probably not even tap a s- shoulder, but just being there. They're like, oh, yeah, that's my refocus. So they didn't need to hear words from me to make that happen. So I have not done it without... Um, coming in and, and just trying to refocus. But you also do it with silence instead of music. I do, yeah. And I made that choice because I really wanted, well, I, I worried about ha- having the music going that they would focus on the music, which is a funny thing to say as a music teacher because <laughs> we want that a lot of times. But <laughs> I just wanted to give them something at the beginning of class that was just totally... Um, without anything else to distract. But I understand how using the same piece of music, uh, you know, each time. Yeah, and one of the benefits, I mean, I got so sick of it because uh-huh. I did the same piece for every class. So I got to hear it like six times a day, every day So what for piece a year. do you remember? I don't remember. Because people will ask. I know, and I don't remember. <laughs> um, it was, hey, I have this stack of classical CDs, and what is not too too slow because I don't want them to go to sleep especially mm-hmm. the younger ones but not too interesting either and about two minutes long that right. is how I picked it yeah and that's hard and you know what I, I take it back because I have I I don't call it the mindful minutes because I usually start with the mindful minutes but I have at the end of class where we listen mm. and um, they're allowed to lay down but I don't give much so I guess maybe that is some more mindfulness at the end of class but mm. it's just kind of a um, a settling down, uh, and I've used Bach cello suites, but I always fade it out. Mm. And I've used um, what else have I used? I, um, oh, another Bach, you know. Oh, the Goldberg variations, mm-hmm. but not the Glenn Gould where he's humming along <laughs> and singing. Uh, but again, it's not two minutes, and I just have a good place to to fade it out. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that really supported my students by having it be the same piece is they got so familiar with it. If they were having one of those days where it was a little harder to stay focused on whatever, they could tell by listening how close they were to the end. Oh, that's good. So it was this nice time marker that their eyes could be closed for, but they could pay attention to that way. Nice. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to talk a little bit about, there is research out there. Oh, yes. Yes. And um, we're not going to give a big boring list of all the things. Um, There's new research coming out all the time, but there is not specifically music classroom mindfulness research. No. um, I mean, I think we're going to move in that direction. There's there's a few reasons for that. There's not um, a large list of people in music education research who are focusing on mindfulness. Mm -hmm. It's not that there's not anybody, but there's not a large amount. Um, It's also... Uh, more and more challenging to get permission to do research with kids mm-hmm. and in schools. Um, and so that's a big barrier. Uh, you also not only do you need the district approval and the principal approval, but you need music teachers who are willing to, um, uh, I say give up their time, but as you know, like, all right, I give up two minutes, I give up five minutes, mm-hmm. and then I get back like 15 minutes oh, yeah. of productivity. If you're not I having to refocus them all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And so I think that's part of the challenge, too. But we do know a lot from general education research about the huge benefits this can have and can have really quickly on um, structures of the brain, on uh, how people interact with each other, how they feel about themselves, about what they achieve. Uh, I mean, there's just so many things um, about teacher burnout. Uh Which is, uh, so if so you like, want to enjoy yes. your teaching more. For you as a music teacher, <laughs> like forget about the kids for a sec. But yeah. Um, yeah, I have found it very useful in that department. It's interesting because um, you know how the year ebbs and flows the school year and how there's more tense times. Sure. Uh, and I, I've been very steady about doing my meditation every morning. Mm-hmm. But um, during the stressful times, I try to do like an extra five minutes. Mm. So instead of my usual 15, I try to go 20 or, you know. Well, and I had gotten in habits of sprinkling, um, I, you know, I call them the reset buttons throughout mm-hmm. the school day. So uh, I had hall duty at the beginning of the day and I would try to get there 30 seconds before the bell so I could just have a moment to breathe and, and reset myself and then be very personable and welcoming. I um, I was fortunate. I was at the front door, so I got to see all the students coming in, and so that was a really yes. nice way to start the day. Um, but it, it's it's not like as a music teacher, you probably have lots of downtime. So having yes. those thirty second things 30 here and there, enough. especially in those those tense parts of that. Yeah, I've been using the some of the reset buttons. I have um, one class in particular that is a challenge, um, behavior wise and attitude wise they're older kids and they just they seem to want to fight mm-hmm. a lot and I I, I do a, a reasonably good job of, of not going there I won't say I'm perfect but before they walk in I do try to find like you said that like extra few seconds yeah and I usually do the breathing triangle where I trace a triangle and as I'm tracing up one side and breathing in and tracing down another side I breathe out and then going across I just wait so I try to do three of those as you're waiting for that class. Uh-huh, before they walk in. Yeah. And then um, I've actually written up um, a little Word document that is specifically what works with this class as far as my approach to them. Oh, sure. So I just read through those little things, you know, give them lots of choices, mm-hmm. make sure, you know, all of these little things that I've written down, because I have had success with this class. Yeah. Um, and, and then I do my breathing triangle, and then I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm ready for I you. I am ready for this ready class. Ready to be present in this class. Exactly. And approach with curiosity what will happen today. Right. So I look forward to seeing more research done. Yeah. Um, and absolutely. It's just a wonderful, um, just such a rich topic. And boy, I just, I just want to know more. And there's a lot of good resources out there. Uh, that book over there, Mindful Games, which I've shown you before, mm-hmm. um, those two ladies were uh, interviewed just recently on the 10% Happier podcast. Okay. Dan Harris, who is the news anchor who has a whole, similar to Headspace, he has a whole um, 10% Happier website with guided meditation and some unguided meditation. And he actually did a um, mindfulness meditation tour in a van. Um, And he got his (laughs) meditation teacher to come along and they went around the country um, doing like some uh, guided meditations with people and asking people why they weren't meditating or if they wanted to, just trying to kind of rally the troops kind of thing. And it's just, he's got a podcast and it's fascinating, but um, he has been interviewing people 
who regularly incorporate mindfulness, you know, very successful people. Right. And um, he talked to these two women who wrote this book, Mindful Games, and there's also a card deck that comes with it. And it's all these like mindful um, exercises. Some are meditations and some are just, you know, some require props. Okay. You know, where like there, there's the mindful eating and there's like, that's so um, <laughs> yes, that is very, I've done it one time and it was great. And I was like, okay. One of the things <laughs> that I will figure out how to do, um, cause lots of people who talk about mindfulness say like, do your dishes in a mindful state of mind. Oh, I don't have time. And I, I, I can't quite bring myself to do it. And I've been trying for like two and a half years now. And every time I, I, I just I'm like, but I don't know if I want to be present. Yeah. I just want, but they're like, but then you enjoy it more. And I know that's true for oh, other parts of, the, of my life. Um, I can mindful vacuum. Good that's for a you. thing now. But dishes, for some reason, I can't, um, I can't bring myself to. I understand. I just want them done. Yes. I'm like, I can be mindful when I'm looking at the clear countertop <laughs> and the empty sink. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. And the mindful walking. Um, there's some now headspace mindful walking yeah. um, little things that I have not tried because uh, I don't know. I, I should go there. That I really like. Um, I was fortunate. I was at this wonderful conference in Dublin. Oh, yes. nice. <laughs> and um, on the campus where we were, they had a labyrinth. And they oh, had really yeah. long breaks between sessions so people could recharge and be fully present for each session. And, um, and so during one of those breaks, I did mindful walking of the labyrinth, which mm -hmm. was just like this wonderful experience. Oh, I love it's labyrinths. There's one in Santa Fe mm. um, on a church. It's like a church courtyard that I visited. I used to live in New Mexico okay. um, quite a while ago. And uh, boy, it's just, I just want my own. Like you should make it. Yeah, that would be. That when would you be do fun. your patio stones, you can just make it so it happens to be a labyrinth pattern, and then you can use it as a patio. And then that's true. Yeah, or I could just get out the chalk. Yeah, <laughs> could do that. So this <laughs> conference that you went to, what, what was it? What was the focus of the conference? Um, it was on research in early childhood education. Wow. So it wasn't music specific. Um, there were there were a few music people there. Um, it, it was a wonderful conference nice. and partly because it was organized, um, to help you take space to recharge and so you could be more mindfully present. Wow. Which a lot of our conferences don't. Oh no. Don't Just do. go, go, go. <laughs> you're like, all right, I need a break. So I need to skip something. And yeah. then you're like, should I feel guilty that I skipped something? But I want to be fully present for what I do see and yes. finding that balance. Yes, it's, it's, it's a work in progress, yeah. and that is a really hard thing in our society because we are not used to, we just, we have end game in mind always. Right, and we love being able to say we're busy. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's hard to get and over. And especially among teachers, well, I'm sure it's like this with every profession, but there seems to sometimes be among teachers this, oh, I don't know, I don't want to call it a victim mentality, but this whole like, I am not sleeping very much and I am working so hard and I, I was at the school late last night and I only saw so-and-so's car and so-and-so's car and sure I mean I've been in buildings not not now so much but I've been in buildings where there was kind of like this I'm suffering more than anyone else <laughs> I win I remember one time I was leaving um, a school I was working at and it was almost five o'clock <laughs> 
and um, parents were coming in, and, and uh, it was for an event, and they're like, oh, where are you going? I'm like, I helped set up the event. I talked to your kids about how proud I am that they're doing this event, and it's 5 o'clock, so I'm, I'm leaving. Like, I mm-hmm. need to take care of me. I need to see my family um, so that I can be fully present to teach tomorrow. And they're like, oh, that hadn't occurred to us. I'm like, because mm-hmm. I am a person, and we need to treat ourselves nicely. Yeah. And they were really receptive. I give credit to those parents. Yeah, they and I think we just generally need to let go of the guilt that comes along with self-care. Sure. And I really don't think that it's because I've worked on anything. I think the older I get, the more I'm just like, just don't care what everybody thinks. <laughs> I need this, and that's what's happening now. So as long as I'm not you know, neglecting my mm-hmm. obligations to other people, then I'm going to do what I need to do. Well, and I have found more and more mindful practices that aren't necessarily solo. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I can sit at the table with my two young kids and we can color and I can be aware of them and then also mindly focus on the feeling of my breath as it impacts my coloring or the mm-hmm. feeling of my arm as it moves um, or trying to move as slowly as possible as I color and feel what that feels like. So it's... Um, a lot of the practice is just me, and so it can feel more selfish, but then there's I've, I've really branched out to many different kinds of mindfulness practice, and I think that's because I, I get bored if I do the same thing all the time. Like, mm-hmm. I just can't. That's, it's too much for me. So I, I skate, or I run, sure. or I color, or I crochet. So do you run without music, without headphones, all that? Yeah, I don't use music when I run. Um, I used to. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I stopped. <laughs> but if you can be mindful, if that's another yeah. know, time for you to be really mindful about. I mean, I've heard a lot about people being mindful, running and exercising and really being in touch with what's going on and, and the changes in your body as yeah. your heart rate rises. And um, that's not something I do yet. Um <laughs> I like that you added yet to that. <laughs> well, I'm trying to be open mindset here. Um, but also, um, there's mindful ways to listen to music. Oh, yes. Um, so I had a great conversation with Frank Diaz, who's a music education researcher and very into mindfulness. And um, and he was ta- telling me this um, activity he does with um, his kid. And they lay down on the floor and they put this little stone on their chest and they listen to music, mm-hmm. and um, they're already very used to feeling what their breath feels like and noticing different kinds of body reactions. But in this case, you're noticing how your body reacts to listening to music uh-huh. and how, hey, there was like only a slight crescendo there, um, and yet my breathing changed to go with it. And, and noticing those small things that are the reasons that we love listening to some music. Like, hey, this is my jam when I run because it really pumps me up. It's the right tempo for right. Uh, those kinds of things. Or, oh, I had a really hard day. I want to listen to this song because it mellows me out. Um, but this is a way of becoming more aware. And that's what mindfulness is. It's the awareness that happens from paying attention. Um, this is a way to become more aware of how you react to music. Yeah. Yeah, I've done that. I wonder where I got that from. Because I have used, we call them breathing buddies with the littles. We use bead bags. I love that. And they put them on their chest. (laughs) And and they love that too. Do you do it too? Yes. Yes, I do. And like I said, I I hadn't been considering it 
a part of my mindful minutes because mm-hmm. I guess I've just grown accustomed to that's what I do at the very beginning of class. Right. And this has been like more of a, at the end of class, we have a couple of minutes, we get out our breathing buddies. And I have not used breathing buddies with um, fourth through six, just so you know. Sure. I'm not sure how that would go over it. Well, I might not okay. use stuffed animals. Yeah. Well, well these depends are just your kids. I mean, in some places. Oh, bean bags. Bean bags. Sorry. You said bean bag and I was picturing the little bean bag stuffed animals. The bean bag babies. Yeah. yeah. So I bet if I didn't say the breathing, you know, breathing take buddies. your breathing buddy, I wouldn't, I'm sure they would, they would probably go with it. Yeah. But then again, um, <laughs> Middle schoolers, uh, six, and I still have sixth graders, mm-hmm. but fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade have a tendency to want to throw things all the time. And <laughs> I'm just saying this, uh, this is my personal experience. Um, In fact, so you're nervous about it. Just I would like be nervous we about, about yeah, other teachers like, here's a thing I can throw in the air and catch a bazillion times in a row. Hmm. The bottle flipping, where you wear the whole bottle flipping craze that was not very long ago. No. Yeah, like middle schoolers. Are flipping bottles in the air and seeing if they can get them let to land upright. It's just this impulsive <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Where's the focus? That um, is the that is the teacher, but yeah. yeah. And then my son and like I, I posted this on Facebook the other day. Um, my son has a tendency to um, wherever we are, he likes to jump up and see if he can touch the ceiling or see if he can oh, sure. touch the doorway, and it's like a constant thing. Yeah, I mean, I my reaction to that would be like, oh, well, let's slow it down and let's let's see what all those different parts really feel like. Right, and like, and and my son's response would be, no, I'm done. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna turn it into that, forget it. <laughs> Though I might prefer if they're gonna throw something, they have bean bags than rocks anyway. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But it's hard to focus when somebody is constantly throwing something up in the air and sure. catching it. But um, I, I digress. Uh, so next steps about mindfulness in the music classroom or even your own personal mindfulness. What? And again, now I'm putting that whole kind of like expectation of now we go more. But I mean, right. in the realm of mindfulness, what do you hope to include in the future? I, I know you're going to be looking for a job as a, you know, expert, PhD, music education. <laughs> Is this something that you think you can take into your college teaching? Oh, yeah. And I have done some already um, with the college students because I don't know if you've heard, but they can be pretty stressed out. Uh, yeah. uh, and they, they um, don't always do all their work or fully participate. I mean, and the same is true when you're teaching teachers. Mm-hmm. And um, we all have those things. And so I definitely bring it into my college teaching. And have they been receptive? They have been receptive. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're not going to probably do the lay on the floor thing mm-hmm. um, with them. Um, but there's been a lot of different ways. And, and I approach it from two sides um, with the college students. We do some for their sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might do some to help them uh, interact with the material that they need to learn. Um, but then we also do some as like, Hey, future teacher, this is a way you might use it with students in the future. And so do you take them through like a meditation or what do you do? So it depends on what the purpose of it is. Um, with them, there is some guided meditation, so it might be a little bit more akin to what you tend to do. I don't put on background music with them. Um, or there's often a visualization. Uh, like one thing I like to do is 
to guide them through visualizing a story that then they use to create some sort of sounds. So whether it's um, a song where they rethink of a song or if it's just sounds to help tell the story mm -hmm. um, and then compare and contrast and those kinds of things. Uh, and, and sometimes it's just like, okay, we just talked about a lot. Let's just sit for a moment so you can process uh, and, and then we can move forward. And that's something I need to keep working on. And I've thought about that particular thing quite a bit, especially during teaching Kodai levels. Mm. And I was wondering, I wonder if I should take some time during so, yeah. pedagogy teaching to just say, okay. But not time where everybody wants to like, sh like no, you, shout this, out so a bazillion isn't talking, questions. This isn't question time. But this time. is just let's let it yeah, sink in. and I got um, really inspired, and I don't remember who wrote this, but they, in their college teaching uh, chemistry, they have the students spend a couple minutes looking at the model of one molecule, and I don't remember exactly what, but so they can really look at it and think about it for a couple minutes before they start really discussing it and how mm -hmm. it interacts and those kinds of things. Um, and I was like, wow yeah, I should do more of that too. And it's hard because um, even though I, I tend to value depth over breadth, mm -hmm. there's, still, there's still the pressure to cover what mm. you need oh, to yeah, cover, definitely. right? Um, but if you cover lots of things and they don't keep any of it, does it matter anyway? Exactly. Uh, so that, that's, that's part of my self-reflection in my college teaching um, for sure is continuing to add more of that time to process um, whether it's a guided meditation or a hey this is just a time for you to process it's not time for you to add to your notes even it's just to sit there and think about it and yeah. those things yeah that's really really smart well thank you so much for talking to me about all of this oh my pleasure it is so much fun Thanks i for think me on. and um yeah we we plan to uh, do some more collaborating Absolutely. And uh, can't get rid of me. That. Yeah, later. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have reached the CODA section where we will share a professional or a personal recommendation. And I'm so happy to have Ellie here to share something. It could be teaching wise or not teaching wise, something that you just want to point people, steer people towards that you think is awesome. Yeah, so for me, what I really want to recommend um, relates to the mindfulness discussion we've had, and it's part of the definition of mindfulness where, sure, you're paying attention on purpose, but the part I want to focus on is non-judgmentally, because uh -huh. we have so much negative talk in our heads where we're just berating ourselves, and it doesn't mean you're not being um, careful to do better, and you're not like noticing what can be better but it's just without the negative talk part so like as musicians we're playing along and we're like oh i missed that f sharp again i was just practicing that how did i no instead of being like oh i missed the f sharp again okay and then then it doesn't have the same negative effects and you can make the more positive and the same in our teaching and in our relationships mm -hmm. but just trying to just a little bit every day take out that extra judgment we have in our head and that is so hard to do. It is so hard to do, and it's so worth the effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not very consistent about that. But you do it sometimes. You uh, sometimes. are able to take it out now. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think I do it more out of um, tiredness. Okay, yeah. Like, I'll, I'll think to myself, ooh, I need to, I'm getting upset about this thing that just happened. Uh, yeah. And then I think, 
you know what? I just don't have room. I'm tired. I can't. Oh, here's an example. Sure. Yesterday at the ski slope, um, my son and I, we were getting on a lift, and he doesn't always communicate clearly. And um, I thought that we were going to wait for the next chair, and he thought we were going to go on this chair with these two guys who happen to be ski instructors. Not our ski instructors, just two random guys. So he was moving on ahead, and I was like going back. I was like, what are you, wait, hey. And so we caused a kerfuffle where they stopped the lift, <laughs> which hasn't happened in my life in a long time, and it's extremely embarrassing. And I made the conscious choice to like, you know what? I'm just not even going to like think about how embarrassing this is. Right. I'm going to just move, you know, I felt no it. one died. I move on. We're all safe. Yeah. Um, thankfully, the ski lift operators, they're used to this. And I'm just not going to berate myself for the next whatever minutes. Right. As you go and on. I'm just moving on. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, like I said, it was just because I was just too tired. Yeah, and part of it comes from learning to notice that you're saying those things to yourself so that you can be like, oh, I don't, I don't need to judge myself that harshly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, well, and I know some people are like, oh, but then I won't do a good job at stuff anymore. And it's like, no, I, I think I'm just as productive and it's just as high level as I was exactly. before, but I can enjoy it more. And you not... can have high standards and not beat yourself up over Absolutely. everything. All right. Well, yeah. um, along the same veins of mindfulness... I'm going to recommend some specific resources, and I'll put links to this. Um, I think we've mentioned Headspace before, mm -hmm. which is a really excellent way to start. And you get the first, ten. what is it, 30 to 10 sessions free, or maybe it's even a month. or mm, I don't know. It might be different now. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've, I've been using it for a long time. Um, and there's also an app called 10% Happier, which has a, a subscription thing. Mm -hmm. um, but... I wanted to specifically mention about Headspace that there's some awesome animations. There are. And they're really helpful in being very specific about um, the kind of things that might um, get you down in your life or the kind of things that mindfulness is about. So I just wanted to specifically recommend the little tiny animations that come along on the Headspace app. But then there are also a few that I think you can just watch on YouTube. Oh, probably. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, when you have a subscription, you can just watch all of them. Yeah. But they're really excellently done. They're very simple. They're they're cartoony. I was watching one yesterday, the Am I Doing This Wrong? Because uh -huh. um, sometimes when you're doing the meditation, you're like, wait, am I even doing this right? And so it was, it was, a, um, it was, it is, it's cutesy. It's the cartoon. Yes. But, but it's also, it's. I like how it's one nugget of information. Yes. It's very focused, so you can really take it in and think about it. And it gets the it. point across. Yeah. I've shown some to my students, mm -hmm. especially the older ones. And the one that I particularly like to show to kids is the one about um, mindfulness, meditation, and sitting in silence is a lot like watching the cars drive by on the highway, mm, yeah. and the cars are your thoughts. And you notice that they're there but you don't go chasing after them. You don't stop traffic. Sure. You just are in a place where you can notice them going by. And it's just really short. It's like, I don't know, maybe a minute and 15 seconds. Yeah. And um, just really fun. Yeah, those are great. All right, thanks. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts to help others find this podcast. Show notes can be found at my blog, Teaching Music, Tanya's Kodai Aspiring Blog. 
and keep up with us via Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Until next time, this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking. <laughs>